So, oh. First Corinthians. When y'all think of First Corinthians, what do you think of? There's a famous passage that you love, right? At every wedding you've ever been to, they, they read First Corinthians 13 love. Uh, anything else? Maybe women who hate a certain passage. Nope, just me? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yes, the infamous passage about women need to be silent. Is, um, so we'll talk about that passage as well. I'm trying to get you off of that network, but I don't know how. Since your computer's a little bit more updated than my Mac. Give me another one. That's what I'm looking for. So, we're just going to go over the usual sort of things. Who wrote it? When was it written? Where was it written? Why was it written? So, um, does anyone know who wrote First Corinthians? It's pretty easy because it's the same as everything else, pretty much. So, yeah, that's possible. And does anyone remember the two men that Paul took on with him on his second missionary journey? Silas slash Silvanus. And the other person is? 426. Not Barnabas. By this point, Barnabas and Paul have had their falling out, and so Barnabas went on his own on a missionary. Timothy, yes. And poor Timothy had to be the messenger, so anytime Paul wanted to deliver a letter, he was like, hey, Timothy, you can take it, which, as we know, took much longer than just like a two-day drive in your car or whatever. So poor Timothy was like gone for months on end delivering Paul's letters. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so um, what we know from 1 Corinthians um, takes place in Acts 18. So Paul also wrote Acts. Um, so he wrote about his time in Corinth in Acts 18. Um, if we ever get my screen to work, I have uh, written that. But does somebody who has access to a Bible want to read Acts 18, 1 through 18? After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew I gotta find Corinth, I'll be right back. a native of Pontius, who received, recently come from Italy with his wife Prisca, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them because he was a tent maker and they were, and as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath he argued in the synagogue trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. You said through what? 18. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, uh, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. But when the Jews opposed him, Paul became abusive. He took out his clothes and he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, "Your blood be on your heads. I am clear of my responsibility. From now on, I'll go to the Gentiles." Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titus Justus, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue ruler in the entire in his entire household, believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard him believed and were baptized. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. 
Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one's going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed for a year and a half teaching the Word of God. While Gallio was the proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him into court. This man, they charged, is persuading people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. Just as Paul was about to speak, Galileo said to the Jews, if you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, he would be responsible for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names in your own law, settle the matter between yourselves. It will, I will not be the judge of such things. So he had them ejected from the court, and then they all turned on Sosthenes, the synagogue ruler, and beat him in front of the court. But Gallio showed no concern whatever. And then under the very next sentence, uh, Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. He left the brothers and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at Serenica because he had a because of a vow that he had taken. So, um, what we learned from Acts and what we can glean from context clues from First Corinthians, and then also what we what we know from other ancient sources is that Paul spent a year and a half at Corinth. So what he did every time he went to a new city, he started in the synagogues. So he tried to convert the Jews to Christianity. Um, what we know from Acts 18 is that it was pretty unsuccessful. And so finally, Paul gets really frustrated. He's like, I wash my hands of you. And uh, in, in your version, um, <coughs> it says he gets abusive. Not the abuse of that we know today. He just got activated. Um, and then said, I'm going to the Gentiles. So he had much more success converting the Gentiles. Uh, that's why he stayed there for such a long time. And then um, after a year and a half, he went on to Ephesus and he took Aquila and Priscilla with him. Those were the people that, in the beginning, he was like, I'm a tent maker and y'all are tent makers. Let's hang out. Um, so, and then eventually when Silas and Timothy showed up. He was like, mm, I don't need to earn money anymore. They're gonna, they're gonna help me earn my keep. So he was able to um, cross couple ties full time. Um, so that's what happened in court. So when we're looking at the timeline, Paul's second missionary journey happened. Remember to add or subtract about two years here from 48. AD to 56. So, uh, do you remember that big map that we showed? So, Jerusalem was down here, and the last time we looked at it, well, the last time I was here, we were talking about Thessalonians. So, Thessalonians goes all the way up here. So, Paul went, do, 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 and then he came all the way down Greece, and now he's going to pop over the Aegean. See? Is that right? You can tell. Joke is not a To Ephesus, and then after he spends some time in Ephesus, he's going to go back to Jerusalem. So um, he actually writes First Corinthians when he's in Ephesus, and Corinth is right over here. If you remember from First Thessalonians, he wrote First Thessalonians when he was in Corinth in Athens. So um, you'll see a pattern of basically. 
after he moves on to the next city, he'll hear reports about how the churches that he just planted a few years before, usually. So he'll send Timothy back to go deliver a letter after the fact. So when he was in Corinth, he wrote a letter to the Thessalonians. When he's in Ephesus, he wrote a letter to the Corinthians. Um, Corinth itself. So ancient Corinth was a seaport. It was very uh, cosmopolitan. There was lots of ideas. They were a very intellectual town. So um, it was considered very much like a melting place of ideas. So if you were uh, intellectual of any kind, um, you would go to Corinth. Um, they were the nerds of the ancient world. So. Um, Paul specifically wanted to go to Corinth for that reason because it was such an influential town. So as far as the background of Corinth, in 146 BC, um, the Romans had a... Oh, that's my background. That is your background. I just don't know how to bring the rest of it. Do you need to like move it over? Does that? Work? Probably one of the screen. Hey, play. Hey. hey. Thanks, Jimmy. Hey. You're welcome. Is that the old blow and the uh, name check me? A little bit. You did good. If Nintendo taught us nothing else, it was that. Okay, we'll just start at the beginning, see what all I covered. Okay, yep, check. Okay, so here's the timeline again. It's like a missionary journey. He arrives in Corinth in 52. Like I said, he's been 18 months there, which was a year and a half. And then he writes for Corinthians in 54. This is what Randall read for us. This is the first part of Acts, and here's the second part of, well, not the second part of Acts. This is Acts chapter 18. So here we have the second missionary journey. There's Jerusalem. So here's Corinth over here. And you can see that he went across the sea to Ephesus. And then after Ephesus, his next stop, back to Jerusalem. So, what was Corinth like? Like I said, seaport, very cosmopolitan. Um, so yes, destroyed by Rome in 146 BC. So Rome was in a war with the Aegean League. So basically a bunch of um, city-states in Greece had all gotten together and was fighting against uh, the Romans. The war only lasted a few weeks because um, it's hard to beat the Romans at war. They're really good at it. So, um, in 44, so almost 100 years later, Julius Caesar is like, you know what? Let's rebuild Corinth. So, Corinth was entirely rebuilt as a Roman town. Um, and it became the capital of the Greek province. If you know anything about um, Rome, you know that the way they operate is that they, um, all of their land that they have conquered, they rule by province right? So Corinth was the capital of the Greek province. When we think of the capital of Greece, what do we think of today? Athens, right? So in this case, 
Athens is just a city. Greece is, or Corinth is where it was at. So more of what Corinth was like. Um, uh, for any of my academic friends out there, um, being Corinthian, especially a Corinthian woman, uh, is has a connotation to it. Has anyone heard this term or want to guess what it is? Okay, we have one guess for a Corinthian person is someone ahead of their time. Any other guesses? Good guess. Totally wrong. Uh, a woman of loose morals is what Corinthian woman means. So being Corinthian is being is short-term or euphemistic for being um, unseemly. So, um, Corinth, I think, and many academics today think, that they've basically gotten a bad rap. Being Corinthian is no more um, unseemly than any other town. So, like, Corinth was known as a place of, like, paganism and hedonists, and sort of like Las Vegas is today, where it's like, anything goes. Um, but when you actually look at what happened in Corinth during ancient times, it's the same as everywhere else. So there was temple prostitution, there was paganism, there was debauchery, sexual immorality, but you're going to get that in every ancient city you go to. That's just like how the Romans were. So uh, Corinth was known for its bronze. Um, it's, they would use it as a mirror fun fact about bronze, um, and it was home of the Ismanian Games. So um, Corinth is on the Greek Isthmus. Is, 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 <laughs> you know that like um, it's, a, it's a land type, like a fjord or you know, a peninsula. It's like a, is, um, anyway, so that's where the games were held. I do know the word biennial. Um, so that means it happens every two years. How, how often do the Olympics happen? Four years, yes. So, Olympics also. Um, so, Olympics were, as they are now, the biggest deal at first, but we had these other games that were sort of second. Uh, the actual place it happened was about nine miles outside of Corinth, but they just called it Corinth, so it happened in Corinth. Um, and the same sort of uh, games is the Olympics. So you had like track, equestrian, strength, things like that. So to compare, this is uh, Corinth today. So you have modern day Corinth back here, and then you have excavations of ancient Corinth. So the excavations actually started in 1870, 1896. Um, it was the See if I can remember the name of the school, like the American Archaeologists of Athens or something. Um, so basically, they were stationed in Athens, but they're American. And this is probably what it looked like after Julius Caesar rebuilt it in 44. So, right here, you have the temple to all the Roman gods, you have the um, forum, basically, and then you have all the houses around it. So, the Jewish synagogue just would have been like one of these other buildings. It was less important, but as long as you paid your taxes, the Romans really didn't care what you were doing. So um, the Jews were allowed to have their synagogue. It wasn't like something they had to do in Israel. 
Um, and we know that because excavated, they have, um, it, they found a, a brick that has a menorah carved into it. And basically, the, in Roman, they're like, this is where the Jews get to be. So, um, I do know that they found it. I don't know where. I just know it was close to the city center. So, one of these buildings. So as previously mentioned, Paul spent 18 months-ish in Corinth. Um, as with every city, he started in synagogue, when he hit, hit a brick wall, he moved on to the Gentiles. Also, as uh, previously mentioned, he wrote it in Ephesus. And here I have several Ephesus for you. So you can tell that because you have to cross the Aegean Sea to get from Corinth to Ephesus, there is a little bit of a time delay. So by the time things have gone south once Paul's left, and by the time the work has traveled to Ephesus, or the, yeah, the news has traveled to Ephesus, you have almost a, a couple months delay of um, Paul being like, Roro. So, uh, if we had to guess, according to the Bible, there would only be two letters from Paul to the Corinthians. And those letters would be 1st and 2nd Corinthians. However, from context clues, we can determine, because Paul talks about other letters that he wrote, we can guess that there were probably four letters that uh, Paul wrote to the Corinthians. However, we only have two of them. So, 1st Corinthians is actually the second letter that we think he wrote. In 1st Corinthians 5.9, he talks about the warning letter. Um, however, that letter was unsuccessful because if it was successful, we wouldn't have First Corinthians. Because guess what? He's warning them again. So, this is letter number one. First Corinthians is letter number two. Um, in Second Corinthians, Paul talks about a letter of tears. So that is letter number three, and then Second Corinthians is actually letter number four, which we'll talk about more next week. Um, the one caveat to that is that when you're looking at 2 Corinthians, chapters 1 through 9 have one tone, and then chapters 10 through 13 have a totally different tone. So some people think, some uh, scholars think that chapters 10 through 13 are actually that letter of tears, part of that letter of tears that just like got appended onto the end of that fourth letter. It might be a totally separate letter that just got added on. So a bit of a caveat if you're reading with us through every chapter for next week. So today we're talking totally about 1 Corinthians, which is the second of four letters. So why was 1 Corinthians written at all? Uh, so 1 Corinthians, the book, the letter, talks about five issues that the early Corinth church was having. And Paul goes through each of those five issues. Uh, the first issue he talks about are divisions. So, um, Paul came through, a missionary called Apollos came through, it says that Cephas came through. What is another name for Cephas or Cephas? Yeah. Oh, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> My screen just turned off. <laughs> uh, another name for Cephas or Cephas? Peter, yeah, and we obviously know who Peter is, right? So he came through, and all the people in the Corinthian church were saying, like, 
I like Paul, I like Apollos, I like Peter, and instead of saying, I like Jesus, right? So one of the things that Paul talks about is that it doesn't matter who you like the best, we're all pointing towards Jesus. So you all need to be a Jesus guy instead of saying, I like so-and-so. That's like saying, like, I like Joel Osteen. I like Josh Graves. I like, doesn't matter. They all point to Jesus. Well, questionable Joel Osteen. Please don't like Joel Osteen. If you like Joel Osteen, come talk to me afterwards. Um, so that's the first issue that he talks about. The second one is sexual immorality. So I think everyone who's ever been to ever studied First Corinthians before remembers the story that Paul talks about of the guy that basically stole his stepmom from his dad. It's gross. And so people, people in the court were like, we're saved by grace. It's totally fine. Jesus said it's cool. And Paul's like, mm, Jesus does not say it's cool, actually. Um, please don't sleep with your stepmom. That's gross. So that's chapters 5 through 7. Um, chapters 8 through 10. Uh, so there's a big division within the Corinthian church, whether or not you should eat meat that have been sacrificed to other gods. Um, so when you're reading it, it's kind of convoluted and doesn't make a ton of sense. Um, so if you remember in the Old Testament, lots of times, meat and animals would be sacrificed to God or other gods. So after that meat had been sacrificed, you could eat it. So the question was, okay, if it's been sacrificed to another god, is it okay that we as Christians eat it? Um, so the underlying principle that Paul gets to is like, generally, it's fine. However, if someone's going to see you eat that meat and be like, oh, you can be a Christian and you can worship so-and-so pagan god. Not cool. Um, what's more important is that your actions convey, like, don't confuse other people with your actions. It should be very clear that you are a Christian and serve only one God. So, specifically when we're talking about sacrifice meat, that's the issue that um, Paul comes down on. Becca, can I, can I talk about this? Yeah, go for it. So, um, even back in the Acts passage in, in 18, uh, it, it talks about um, it's referring to emperor worship. Corinth was the second largest city of the Roman Empire next to Rome. So it's a big deal. There's, I think there's a lot of synagogues in Corinth. Uh, but when he talks about meat sacrificed to idols, I had a discussion with uh, Josh Strahan about this, and he actually did part of his doctoral uh, dissertation on it. Um, if, here, here's here's what they're he, what he's saying. If you have a goat and you're raising goats, what what people would do is they would take their goat to the one of the temples and sacrifice it. And after the sacrifice, the priest would say, "Okay, so if they went to the temple and they sacrificed it, they're getting credit for worshiping that god." Okay. And then they would take their goat home and eat it, and this is bothering them. Should you eat meat sacrificed to idols? Strahan says that no one ever ate meat in Corinth unless it was sacrificed to a god. That's an interesting take. So there's no such thing as 
just like a burger. It has to be a burger that's been sacrificed to right. X, Y, or Z. Concerning the sacrifice to That would really complicate our trips to Chick-fil-A. <laughs> um, so the fourth issue was about worship. Um, for my hardcore Church of Christ people, you will recognize this as why we aren't um, Pentecostal, because you aren't allowed to, basically people in Corinth were speaking in tongues and prophesying and gobbledygook, and people couldn't understand what they were saying, and um, so there was that issue, people were generally being disruptive during service and talking, you know, we're free in Christ, therefore we can act like hooligans during worship services. Um, Paul's like, no, what, what it comes down to is you need to love others more than yourself, therefore um, others need to be able to understand you if you're prophesying from God. You don't get to talk in property group. Um, you don't get to be disruptive during service because that's not, that's loving yourself more than loving other people. And finally, um, the Corinthian church had a question about resurrection. Some people were like, resurrection does not matter. And Paul was like, no, the resurrection like matters a ton because without the resurrection, then Jesus just died. Like the whole point is that Jesus was resurrected. Um, that's the part that he overcame death. That's the that's more important than the fact that he died. So, um, those are the five issues that he talks about. And then in the 16th chapter, he's just like, okay, I'm sending Timothy to you. Bye. Um, so, uh, those are all 16 chapters of First Corinthians. So theological statements. I don't want to get too into the nitty-gritty because y'all have heard approximately 8 billion sermons about First Corinthians, I'm sure. Um, so the overarching theme is that we need to be loving others more than ourselves. So you can pretty much look at all five of those issues and uh, pretty much glean the theme of love others more than what you love yourself. Um, so the important thing for us to do today is don't look at specifically the details because if you look at the details and try and put them in today's society, you're going to get a lot of um, conflicting narratives. However, if you just glean the theme, which is loving others more than yourself, you'll see that these themes aren't contradictory. They're pretty consistent all the way through. So an example today would be sacrificing meat. We Today, like, eating sacrificed meat is not, not a big deal. However, the theme of don't confuse others with your actions makes a whole lot of sense today. So it might not be whether or not need is sacrificed and whether or not that confuses other people, but it might be uh, sometimes you have a drink with dinner, but if people are going to think you're not Christian because you're having a drink with dinner, don't have a drink with dinner. Um, so that would be taking the theme and applying it to your own life rather than specifically the details. So we have about nine minutes left. I just kind of like blew through first Corinthians. Um, what thoughts do you all have about any of those five issues, about the overarching theme, about Paul? 
I can talk ad nauseum about how we killed women through side. Because as you can tell, I do not like that passage because I am apparently not. I'd like to talk about that. Yeah, so um, he talks about, um, well, I should say 1 Corinthians talks about. So 1 Corinthians 11, which is in the passage about worship, talks about how. Uh, so here's another example of how we need to take the theme and not the details. So the details talk about how you need to be worshiping correctly. And so it says that men should not have their heads covered, but women should. So how many women are having their heads covered today? Okay. And JB, if you saw, was wearing a hat. That's also pretty sinful if we were looking at the details, right? So, um, and then it talks about women praying and prophesying and talking about how um, he, he includes them in the in the saying about you should be loving other people more than yourself. So you shouldn't be prophesying in unintelligible speak because that is confusing to people. That's not helping people in their journey of Christianity. So then we also have 1 Corinthians 14, which falls under the falls under the worship section but a little later on. As you can see, it's three chapters. Um, so, there's a couple of theories about 1 Corinthians 14. So, um, there's language about like, God is the head of man, man is the head of woman, and therefore women should be silent, wives don't talk in church, talk to your husbands afterwards. So, a lot has been said, people have pointed it out and been like, see, women don't have roles in church. Um, I think that's an example of pointing to details instead of pointing to the theme. So if you're pointing to the details, you're like, but that if women are prophesying to church, then they're not being silent. And Paul tells them to prophesy, but now he's telling them to be silent. Anyway, so example of the details being contradictory. So um, this, I think, is an example, and other scholars think, and I fall into this camp, of um, we're looking at social norms, right? So the idea of men not covering their heads and women covering their heads is something that ancient Israel, that was part of their culture, and it's not part of our culture. So the idea of women being silent and only talking to their husbands is something that is a cultural thing. Um, so, two camps. One, there are some ancient versions, including the Dead Sea Scrolls, that don't include that passage at all. So there is evidence to show that Paul didn't actually write that. A scribe wrote that later on. It was just like, and I'm pretty sure Paul needs to write this section right here. Women should be silent. However, if Paul himself did write it, um, when we look at the theme instead of the details, the theme is... Um, the idea still of loving others more than yourself. So, you, instead of, the language isn't super clear about women being silent. It's not that women don't preach. It's women, don't be yelling at your husband because you don't understand what's happening. Specifically, it talks about husbands and wives. Well, I'm single, I don't have a husband. Does that mean that I get to like have a role in church? Not so, unless you could. <laughs> Thank you, yes. <laughs> I also should not braid my hair. I should not mix linen and... Gold jewelry. That's true. 
None of you above. Um, so what we have there is is the idea of the theme is don't interrupt service, don't make sure that you know, don't be yelling at your husband and causing a disruption. Um, instead, talk to your husband afterwards and be like, what? What was that? So we lived in a, they lived in a society where women were not as educated as men. So there was a good chance that if there was anything written, the men could read it, the men could understand it, the men had more intellectual education, and the women needed to ask their husbands, what did that even mean? Um, not to say that Paul approved of that, just that that was the culture in which he was operating. Um, so, one, written by a scribe, two, even if it was Paul, I'm not super convinced that he was like, women have their roles in church. Because he also wrote Acts. And what does Acts talk about? Phoebe, the first ever deacon who happened to be a woman. So, anyway, I feel very strongly on that fact. <laughs> Can you tell? Um, anyway, so. Um, Can I say something? Else? Yeah, go for it. So, I'm, I'm not speaking on behalf of the church. Let me just say a couple of things. It bothers me how loosey goosey you are without how the scripture was formed. Mm -hmm. You're right. Uh, we don't have anything from the Dead Sea Scrolls that would negate this. Uh, as a matter of fact, we don't have anything from the Dead Sea Scrolls that's extant except for Isaiah. Right. Everything else is just little the codices or small little pieces of papyri. The, the big deal about the Dead Sea Scrolls is they help us date what. what happen. Right. Um, to the issue, I don't, you know, Paul is right. He, he, is, he has been talked to by Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so what he says, I think, has authority. But it depends on how we read the Bible. Now, right. If we read the Bible in a way that we're going to take every verse and we're going to say, well, we need to apply that. Because that came from Paul, and that's authoritative, then we're in big heat trouble. Okay? And that's not the way we've read the Bible. Right. So, everybody needs to... We, this, this, this women's deal, uh, I, I've, been, I've been an elder for 14 years, and we have been studying this. We brought in people, and we've turned it over, and it's, it's still murky in my mind, right. trying to understand it. And uh, so I just think we need to be careful. These are uh, bills that really affect really affect the future of Christianity, the future of the church, and how Otter Creek is going to participate in that. So that, that's all I was going to say. Yeah, I think that's a, a you know, I, I don't want anyone to come away be <laughs> Because as we get to interpret First Corinthians however we yeah. want. I do think Paul had a meaning, and his meaning was very intent to the First Corinthian church. But just, we have over 4,000 manuscripts that went together to put the New Testament together that we have. Right. And it's pretty close to what, what came out of it. Yeah. So it, it, the issue was just people twisting, I think, those words to glean meanings that Paul necessarily didn't right. intend. Right. And the only thing that we can do is look to what he's written and try and glean his intent from that. So um, it's an issue because you're interpreting and also interpreting his intent, but then also, so 
um, when you're looking at, you have to look at like, okay, he was as Jewish as you could possibly be, so how did Jewish logic work? How did, like, what was the Corinthian church like? So when he was talking to the Corinthian church, what was he saying? What did he mean talking to the Corinthians? Um, so, yes, I, I totally agree with you. It's definitely, and I don't think you can just look at Corinthians by itself and decide anything one way or the other. You have to look at the entire Bible and like what did Jesus believe? Okay, Paul was an extension of Jesus, so like how did Paul's teachings expand upon what Jesus told us? And if Paul's words are inspired, they can't contradict Jesus, so we have to interpret that in a in a consistent way. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, just to add to the murkiness of it, you know, I, I think about okay if the church if Paul was in modern day Afghanistan and teaching what you belong in the church. You know, if you open it wide open, the women participated fully in it, well, everybody in the church would be killed. It'd be kind of a mess. So, so I get the cultural aspect of it. But then Paul kind of throws that aside a little bit when he said, you know, it, and the reason is for all this is because God created man for us. So God takes so Paul takes it out of the cultural thing and takes it back to creation as a reason for all this. So, so I'm just suggesting I can't give you a reason or a yeah, form, and I basis agree with you. for that. I don't, you know, First Corinthians doesn't like tell us. Yeah. Uh, we just have to look at things as a whole and why I'm really glad that the elders are... Go wherever society takes us. Really right. Being in the world but not of the world is, is hard when it comes down to like the nitty-gritty of mm -hmm. like specific issues. So, um, anyway, that is just, you know, if, if all of you are like, I'm not sure about women's roles because it says lives be silent, I'm just saying there are alternative uh, translations and ways to look at it besides just like, well, Paul tells women to shut up. There are other ways to look at it. Um, but you've probably been taught from the pulpit. It says what it says, why to be silent? So. Yeah. Well, if if that if, if that's to be taken literally, there are a lot of women need to go forward here. Not there are not the there are lots of things lives. in the Bible where all of us need to be comforted forward. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If uh, that's the situation. But anyway, I'm pretty sure that's our time. But um, thank you. Next week, Second Corinthians probably notice a pattern. Um, I'll be back. Jeff will be back. So, hopefully, no technology issues. <laughs> uh, but we did figure it out eventually. Yeah. Thanks, y'all. Thank, Thank you. you. <laughs> <laughs>